Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 201. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you tired of all the busy work in your restaurant, like invoicing, scheduling, inventory, all the things that just suck up your time and money? What if there was just an easy way to automate all these things? Well, there is a way, and it's called QSR Online. Head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable to learn more. Again, that's go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. Now enjoy today's show. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Robin Sue Fisher. Robin, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I am feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> yes, that's what I like to hear. So from her time growing up just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, Robin has been in love with ice cream. After graduating from Williams College and spending time in corporate America as a strategy and management consultant, Robin decided the corporate life just wasn't for her and attended Stanford Graduate School of Business focusing on entrepreneurship. Upon graduating... Robin's Sweet Tooth sent her to a short course at Penn State University that focused on commercial ice cream production and distribution. In 2009, she put Smith Ice Cream on the map with nothing but a wagon in her patented burr machine. And in 2011, she opened her first shop, which was in a container. We'll get more into that later, I'm sure. And only a few years later, she had expanded the Smitten brand to five locations across the Bay Area, and in Los Angeles. And, I mean, that seems like a multiple, but really, it's just an aerial view, and you've really done so much. I can't wait to dive into your story. But before we do that, Robin, i like to start every interview off a success quote or mantra. So what do you have for us today? My mantra is pretty darn simple. I try to live by saying no regrets. Mm. Um, I always feel like it's worth trying, and I'm I'm actually totally comfortable with failure. So um, as long as I try, I don't regret uh, anything that comes thereafter. Robin, you definitely live with no regrets just from doing the research on you and seeing what you went through, what you, you know, you just, you're uh, just, you just take chances. I can tell just from listening or reading your story, you just take chances. And I can't wait to kind of share with the listeners some of the things you did to get to where you are today. So take us through some of the, the steps, some snapshots of, uh, how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, as you mentioned, I learned my sort of first four years of my quote-unquote career that um, the corporate world was just not for me. And what I really wanted was something that had a much more human element to it. And um, that really made being an adult not a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I kind of, I kind of wanted to like break through all of the constraints of, you know, what being an adult seemed to mean. And so I figured, let's focus on something that um, has always sort of made me feel like a kid and made me feel joyful. And that thing is ice cream. Mm. Um, it's always been a really special thing to me and my family. Literally, my mom, since I was three years old, told me that I had two stomachs. And one of those stomachs was solely reserved for ice cream, and I still believe that. 
<laughs> and um, and so I decided to just dive into this product I love to see if I could make it better. And so I started with like the things that kind of bugged me about it. And as I became more of an you know, educated adult, I started like looking at the back of ice cream containers and realizing that I couldn't even pronounce some of the ingredients that's in ice cream. And there's like all these gums. Like why is gum in ice cream? And so one of the things that I I sort of promised myself was like let's just make ice cream pure again. It's this wholesome, nostalgic product that doesn't need to be contaminated. And let's like just take it back in time and make it pure. And so that was um, that was sort of one of the impetus of Smitten. And then the other thing that um, that I learned, um, so A, when I was I went to business school, as you heard, and I also realized that um, that when I was there, even though it was like such a cool place, that I just didn't really feel like I fit like the a lot of the mainstream things that were coming through the door mm-hmm. and. Um, so I realized I was actually really interested in building things, and so I ended up working um, with an engineer uh, there to basically buy a bunch of random cheap parts off of Craigslist and duct tape them together and started building, like, a machine in my backyard <laughs> that did not work at all, but it looked pretty funny. Um, and then sourcing liquid nitrogen, um, which I learned uh, – Basically, is nitrogen is an inert element. It's freaking cold. It's um, literally uh, <laughs> almost close to the you know surface of, of Pluto. It's so cold, um, and it's it's a naturally occurring thing that that is an amazing freezing freezing agent. And I learned by being a super nerd that that um, a lot of the quality of ice cream is resulting from the freezing temperature. And the gist is, if you can freeze it well. The colder you can freeze the ice cream, the smaller the ice crystals can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and small ice crystals basically means a really smooth texture. And you can think about that. Like, if they're large, you can kind of feel them, and that's yeah. more like freezer burny. And if they're small, it's super smooth. And so I was like, oh, awesome. I'll use a super cold liquid nitrogen to freeze ice cream and make it really good. And then if I freeze it really quickly, I can freeze it um, to order. And then I don't have to add any crap in it to it because I'm freezing every batch for you, and you don't have to store it. Oh, man, and then awesome. add all these preservatives in it. So it kind of was like, if this works, like I'm golden. And then I tried, and I tried it, and I realized it's really hard. Um, so that started the next two years of adventure of trying to perfect the process of freezing ice cream with liquid nitrogen. And what um, what I had hoped was that there was someone else out there who already had a machine that did this, and I'd be like, oh, let's just work together. And by, like, going out and doing all my research of who was, you know, playing around with ice cream, I traveled around the country, like, slept on friends' couches everywhere, and, like, met people who I thought were dabbling in things and learned that no one was very far along at all and just didn't really feel confident in in what I was seeing. And so I kind of had this scary moment of, like, oh, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to build it myself. And so um, I ended up signing a retired engineer who was willing to work for equity because I couldn't pay him um, to help me figure out how to build this machine to perfect that process. Mm. And so we spent the next two years in his basement building what we now call Burr. Burr, as you can sort of now understand, is named Burr because (laughs) it's freezes using liquid nitrogen. Um, But it was a really hard process of figuring out how to actually make something effectively freeze at that 
that low of a temperature because when you freeze the liquidation, like it's so cold that it can like form ice balls really quickly. And the, what you want is super smooth ice cream, which is the antithesis of ice balls. Yeah. So, um, so it was a really hard challenge. Um, and it was really exhausting. And, um, many, many times I, uh, went home crying, <laughs> but, um, perseverance, my, yeah. my dad um, always said the good word for it is perseverance, the bad word for it is stubbornness, um, and they're all the same. So <laughs> well, I, you did yeah, it, Robin. Man. You you crushed it. Like the story is so inspiring because so many of us have these ideas of ways to do things better, and we we start and you know we start pulling back the layers, and we realize crap, this is going to be hard, and we quit. But yeah. you just kept going. That perseverance is so key to success, no matter what your entrepreneurial venture is. But the restaurant industry, the food and beverage industry in particular, it's it, there's going to be challenges around every corner, and there's things that you don't ever think of that are going to come to face you, and you just got to you know persevere. Um, and I think that story of how you didn't when you decided you know I am going to have to build this thing from scratch. Most people would have thrown in the towel, the towel, but you said. I'm going to go find an engineer <laughs> and I can't pay them, but there's going to be something we can do. So now you give them equity in the business. I mean, there's just so many ways you can just, you know, overcome and persevere. If you just get creative and say, what if, or how can we make this possible? And I hear that with your story. It's really inspiring. Thanks man. No problem. Thanks, man. <laughs> so, uh, we kind of got your, your big picture, your step-by-step to how you got to your, uh, your location, uh, your first, brick and mortar which is a container which i think we'll dive a little bit more into that later but talk to us i think you kind of already mentioned it a little bit your why and i think knowing your why and your purpose is so important because that's what centers you that's why you show up every day that's why you do what you do and what is your why what is your purpose aside from making really great ice cream like what is it that makes you just love this kind of work yeah um so our company's mission is joy and like, how freaking awesome is that to That's say? That's pretty right? freaking awesome. Like, so it's for me to be able to like every day I wake up to like try to bring people joy and in in the full meaning of the word. Like, our we're making not only you know the best ice cream in the world, but we're also really focused on the experience at the store, and that is like making our stores like much like warmer and more pleasant and like almost like a high end restaurant on ice cream. So it's it's such a different experience to come to Smitten than just go anywhere else, both from the taste and the feeling. And so it's literally like how do we how do we actually like you know evoke joy is like what I try to do. And so um, that's the why. That's, like that's a, awesome. That's pretty much my strong why. <laughs> that's a yeah. great why. And um, I gotta dive into your it factors now. And these it factors are the habits, characteristics, traits that you think most contribute to your success. I already have a few written down. I'll let you go for it and share what you think has made you successful. Um, I guess just take it and let us know like what it is that you think most contributes to that success. One main thing is um, I'm like a huge fan of being on a team. I have a twin brother. I've always had teammates in the very beginning. And I think life is all about people. And so... Um, it's been critical to my like happiness and obviously our team success to like build that team and to find other people who are as passionate about what we're doing as I am. And I've been super lucky to find them. So one is teamwork slash collaboration. Um, another one is, um, is like comfort with failure. Um, and basically being able to, 
to learn from your mistakes. And I think for a company that is trying to push boundaries, which we are doing, um, you really have to know, like, know that you're you're not going to get it right every time, mm. but that you can't just you know fold your cards. So, um, but it's it's really about adaptability, and you know, learning, tumbling, you know, getting up again and doing it slightly different so you don't trip again. Um, so that's kind of like what I've been doing for the last eight years, um, and then um, another one is his being genuine um and that is like so core to everything we're doing and kind of why i've taken this path like i really didn't feel like i was being true to myself so i go to an office building every day and like be in that world and so it was really um focusing on on you know creating my own path and as our team is building like we really focus on how do we have our product be really you know full of integrity and and everything about it is authentic and, and our people too that we focus on trying to make um, make everyone really um, a space to be themselves within our organization. So um, that's another one. I'll add one more. Um, <laughs> Keep going. And that is uh, committing. So we have, we have our company's values. I'm kind of going through some of those. But one is also committing to be the best. So I am an incredibly competitive person. I played basketball through college, and I hate losing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad sport when I lose and something that I'm, something that I think I'm good at. I got to get better at that. But, um, but I really believe like why do something if you're not trying to do it the best you can do? I know it? so many people so, just settle with okay, and it drives me crazy. Yeah, and that that pisses me off, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like what are you doing? You're a like just like own it. Like own it. This represents you, and this is like. It's why do it if you're going to be mediocre? Um, so that's kind of like we are pushing the boundaries on like what people even think of ice cream. Like it's it's just like every even tell people had people tell me why do you even call it ice cream? You should call it something better than ice cream because it's not even comparable. And it's it's like well like that's the kind of response that that I want to get. So um, I'll kind of leave it at that. I could go on, but Robin, you've got some rock star it factors. I'm just going to summarize real quick. Uh, listening to your heart. Uh, team player, collaboration, knowing life is about people and to collaborate with those people and not being afraid of failure, adaptability, being genuine and committing to being the best. And uh, you kind of, some of the ones I wrote down, you, you already said. So, I mean, I totally hear these things coming from you. And the one thing I wrote down that you didn't mention is just that perseverance, which I think is so, so important. And stubbornness, like you said, maybe the bad side, the bad word for it, but whatever <laughs> it's awesome and it's totally necessary um great stuff uh I, I really just want to point out um how you listen to your heart and you're genuine and you know who you are and talk to us a little bit more about why that's so important um honestly it's like something that i've gotten better at you shine i know i shine the most when i feel like i'm in my element and like it really pisses me off when I feel like, oh, gosh, like I'm not being my best self. And it's hard to be your best self if you're putting yourself in a position that doesn't, like, really fit. Like, you're, mm. you know, just the puzzle pieces aren't fitting together. And so just creating a, a environment and an arena to play in that, that actually, like, you feel like you can... You can like shine, and that might be like being having a successful business, or that just may be like being a good person, or like being a fun person to work with, or being a good wife. Or yeah. all those things like come from like doing something that you feel like is 
true to yourself. And, and so I think it's just like, it's just the beginning and it goes very far from that. And I remember like when I was in the consulting world, I like really felt like I am not being my, like I am, I'm annoyed more than I should be. I'm like, like irritable, like all those things came because like I just didn't fit. And so yeah, it was totally. just listening to my heart and being like, I can't, like, I can't be that person. It, it's so, so, so much easier to show up every day, committed to being your best when what you're doing every day is something that resonates with your core, your heart, something you love, something that's just so you. And, um, that's, yeah. that's what I want to pull out of you. That's what I, and that's what I heard you say. And it's so critical and so important. And I also love how you talked about just taking chances and not being afraid to fail and to not see failure as failure, but just a way to learn something new, adapt, like you said, and pick yourself up and just do it a little bit better the next time out. So awesome stuff here. And, uh, we, we have you. to just, I have to point out that you started with pulling around a wagon in your neighborhood and that's just really cool too yeah uh, just, so, you want me to dive into that real quick no i think we can we can come back to that when we talk about okay. raising the capital i think there's plenty of time there to talk about it but let's talk about a failure now robin a time where you know you had one of these failures and you did fall on your ass and then tell us about how you picked yourself back up and what you learned from that failure man so my story is like a lot of failure points <laughs> pick the <laughs> worst to know one. where to start um <laughs> One like really tough time was was uh, the fact that it did take it took two years to get a working prototype of our machine, um, and I was like just beaten up by the end. Like literally had almost given up like five times. Like was just um, just pretty you know desperate straits in terms of um, if it didn't work out, you know was kind of you know two years into not having a job. Um, and also, um, it was 2009 when my machine was done and, you know, originally, you know, graduated business school and like everyone there is like, Oh, you just raised $2 million and, you know, and, and you start your business and that sounded great, but it was 2009 and I was starting a food <laughs> business and if you guys remember 2009, it was like all the restaurants were like starting to get boarded up. Like people were not going out to eat very much. No one wanted to finance a food startup and I had no money. And so I was like, Oh my God. Like I was just devastated about now what? Like this is two years in all my life savings and like I'm I have no money left and like I'm hitting a wall. And so the way I was able to pick myself up out of my puddle of tears, um, was basically be like, all right, let's uh let's figure out another way to, to think through this and do it in a super scrappy way. And so I started learning about these. Um, there were like a handful of chefs or, you know, actually a couple of immigrants from other countries who were really good at producing like one item of food. And, and um, the chefs that had, you know, been laid off because their restaurants had closed and a couple of them had started just like selling their, or selling their, selling their food on the streets of San Francisco. And so they, this is when Twitter had like just started taking off. And so I like started following them on Twitter and I reached out to them and was like, Hey, can I come join you? So smart. I you know I am, I'm going to be a new food cart. And so, um, so then I was like, Oh gosh, how do I do that? <laughs> and so I was like, what, how do I get my, you know, 40 pound machine, a 30 pound tank of liquid nitrogen, um, out on the streets where my machine plugs into the wall. Like, how do I do this? <laughs> and so, um, and so 
I got like it's a really long of, extension like, cord. Really great. <laughs> so basically, I realized the radio fly wagon um, was great in several several ways. One, it's cheap, like relatively for something so strong. It can carry a heavy thing, and it's like about a hundred bucks. Great check. B, radio fly wagon is also associated with nostalgia, wholesome childhood, and I really wanted Smitten to have those same associations because it's this like super modern, you know looking machine at that point it was kind of a little bit messy looking but um it's like looks like a really modern way of making ice cream but the whole gist of it is that we're going back in time and making ice cream here again so i really wanted that association mm. so radio wagon machine on top and how do i power it so ended up getting an old motorcycle battery and um and being able to um, basically reconfigure it to plug into my machine to power it for approximately three hours. So I had three hours of ability to sell ice cream um, <laughs> on the street. So I was all rigged up and ready to go. So I literally like started just um, going out on the street with these other I have this mental picture right now, so Robin, of you running was, around three hours yeah. to, to chasing the, trying to beat the clock, pulling this wagon behind you. <laughs> I just, yeah, no, it was great. It was <laughs> terrifying, absolutely terrifying to get out there and actually put my ice cream in front of people. But it was literally like, you know, what can I do for under $300 and get people to try it? Because if they try it, I, I truly believe that they will love it. And if they don't, at least I will know. Yeah. <laughs> at least awesome. I will know and I can go try to get paid somewhere. <laughs> like I, I just need to know. I need and to so I need to yeah, pull out just I like one out of my hole. I need to pull out just one nugget from that. One thing that really just struck me as being a crucial lesson and it is just to ask people for help. To go to people who are doing what you want to do and just say, Hey, can I come along? And willing to work for free or whatever it takes just to surround yourself with the people that are doing what you're doing. And that will expedite the process of getting started. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, no, I'm, I think a learning from others is the best way to do something. I think I learned more from selling ice cream on the street with the community of other, you know, food engineers. And it was all, you know, it was all out of pretty dire straits, but we became this great family and they taught me so much more than I could have ever read in a book. So one major theme that I have is just like, go get out there. Like, get out there. You'll get so much better feedback than you ever will from a survey or you ever will from, like, you know, reading a textbook. Get out there mm-hmm. and, like, risk it and learn. So awesome. that was, like, awesome. And then also, yeah, develop as many mentors and advisors as you can from, like, all aspects of life. Awesome. I love it. This interview is getting off to a great start. Well, it's not a start. We're halfway done. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. We all know the challenges of running a restaurant. Is the staff productive? Are the menu prices set to the right profitability? Am I getting the best prices from my suppliers? Do the customers continue to have the experience you envisioned? You probably have a handful of service providers, software, and people all trying to pull together your systems for managing your restaurant. From the managers doing labor scheduling and taking inventory to your bookkeeper entering invoices and sales numbers from the POS, your employees, providers, and you are tasked with several costly endeavors, both in time and money. Had you ever stopped to consider just how much all these activities are costing you? Well, I would like to tell you about a service that automates all these tasks and does much, much more. 
QSRonline.com. QSR Online was started by people in the restaurant industry who saw how much wasted effort there was in their business and set out to build a better system, and they've been helping restaurateurs for over a decade minimize and control their costs. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. That is go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you, Robin, is what advice do you have for getting that initial capital to get started and to fund your restaurant? The way that works for me is actually get a following first. Um, if you can, if at all possible, get some fans. Um, get Show that you have traction, um, even if it's just a small group. But, like, get, have, you know, have quotes, have, you know, get some if you can get some press because you're you're already out there in some way like I was doing it in a totally rogue <laughs> rogue way. <laughs> but so soon we got like just bloggers started finding out about it and writing it up and for a while we were actually like with just a wagon we were number one on Yelp for all restaurants above Gary Danko. It was what? hilarious. But like somehow like just get 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 some sort of following and then some of those followers may actually be interested in supporting you because they come to love your product. Mm. So that that was sort of um, how I got some of my initial financing for our first shop in Hayes Valley. And the other thing that really helped me is um, is by realizing that scrappiness was the best approach. So not like I need to raise a million dollars, but like I need to raise the least amount of money possible to get this thing open because I don't want to dilute my ownership any more than I have to. And so then it was, all right, I need to raise $300,000. Still a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but it's more manageable than saying like a million or two million. Oh yeah. And then it's just figuring out uh, and letting, once you have some followers, letting them know, Hey, like I have a small amount of, um, and it's also creating exclusivity, right? You no one wants to like be in kind of an endless, you know, open, bucket of, you know, kind of charity. So mm-hmm. it's really creative, especially as I'm saying, you know, looking for, like, I've got availability for, you know, a few more um, participants in financing, you know, the first thing or to be an owner of the first shop um, or the first whatever, the first product run, and make it something really special because it is really special. It's the first oh, yeah. time you're ever really getting out there and doing it, and you should you should market it that way. Yeah, it's and, not like you should be begging for it; you should be selling it like for the specialist that it is. So, um, I think, and then once you have followers and they love it, then, then it should be much easier to get people to get excited to be involved. And then there's also obviously different ways of thinking about financing. There's obviously doing like a real equity round versus raising some debt, et cetera, et cetera, which I can get nerdy about too, but I'll pause and see if that's what you want me to do. Well, one thing that, uh, you're great, by the way, I love the advice you're giving of just getting that initial following because you just need to make an impact on people and get that foundation of people who know, love, and trust you and just want to support you. But another thing that you did, which is really one of the things that got me excited about researching you is you, you didn't shoot for the stars right away. You started small. You started with what you could have, like a minimal viable product, something that just worked to get it out there, and you scaled. And I think scaling is such a such an uh, impactful thing, something that can really help you in the long run. Because so many people, they, they start, and but they, they just aim for the stars way too early. And they look at these successful restaurateurs who have all these restaurants but they didn't just open these restaurants one day. They had to start small too one time. I mean, what do you think of how much 
significance has your scalability had on your success? Um, I think it's been huge. Um, I mean, Hayes Valley, San Francisco is our first shop. As you mentioned, we opened it out of easy recycled shipping container. It was like a 40 foot long shipping container that was all beaten up and we just kind of gave it a makeover, cut it in half, made it half our front of house and half the back of house. And, and there are two, two reasons that I like doing that. One is because it was super scrappy and um, it enabled us to have a, a much lower rent because we were renting the land and we would just own the building. You can buy our old shipping container for a couple thousand dollars. Um, it ended up getting a lot more complex because you have to figure out plumbing and electricity to the land, but that's another story. Um, but from there, um, just thinking, you know, what's the least I need to prove this out, not like what's the most I need to make this like everything I ever dreamed it would be. And you can always, if you do it, the, you know, you want it to be, you want it to be used. You don't want it to be so raw that it's not like the essence of what you want your brand to be, but start with like what you feel like is absolutely necessary and then what we did like we had like no outdoor area it was like gravel outside as we're like oh my gosh this is working we built an awning and then when that made people come when it rained we made it an enclosed awning and then when that made people come more we added heat lamps like but we like every step along the way like you we wait six months to see what happens and then we like get a little more money and we fund it more that way so what it's it's a evolution it doesn't need to all be on day one Awesome advice. So the next question I have for you is on the topic of uh, managing people. I mean, so much of this industry, you already said it, is it's it's about people. Um, life is about people. So how do you manage your people and how do you lead your people? Um, I'm, you know, I'm getting, learning more and more and trying to get better at it every day. And one of the things that I think is most important is, um, A, like I freaking hate hierarchies. Like I hate it. Like I've been <laughs> anti-org chart for so long and then my team was like, I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know like, how the company fits together. So like, oh crap, I got to go to the org chart. <laughs> so like how I got comfortable with it is I put it on its head. I am at the very bottom mm. and our guests are at the very top and our baristas who are basically the people who make and serve the ice cream, they're right below the guests. So I work for them. I work for the guests. That is an awesome I work for mentality. the baristas and so I think I think of it that way, and I also, super important to me is um, I get to know everyone who comes aboard. So once a month, every Tuesday of the month, I have what we call a culture session where anyone who's new to the company comes in, and we sit down around the table, and we just talk about whatever they care about. What do you guys want to know about me? What do you guys want to know about the company? What do you guys want to, like, what you guys want to talk about in the world? Like, just, just let's sit around and, and talk about, and I'll answer whatever you guys want to know. And so we had why, it yesterday. Why, um, is that, why is culture so important? So people work, like, obviously people work because they need to get paid, but people choose to stay at a place because um, because it feels right and good. It feels like home. They like the people, and they really believe in what they're doing. Like, that's why I'm here. That's probably why you're doing what you're doing. And, like, I think most people, if not all people, have those same needs. Um, and, like, I'm working in this kind of environment because I care about these things and it's wrong for me not to create that, that environment. So culture is like, culture is the core. Oh yeah. Um, awesome. So, oh, yeah. So what else are you doing in your restaurant to say, like retain your, your staff and to make them feel like, you know, this isn't just a for now job, but maybe there's potential growth or anything that's going on there. Yeah. So we're really trying, we're trying to grow from within. So, um, 
actually the, one of the reasons why I'm growing the company, and it's not the primary reason, is because I love working with amazing people, and amazing people like challenge, and they like to grow, <laughs> and they like new opportunities. And for me to be able to continue to work for them, like that is that is needing growth. Um, and it's a really cool thing to do to grow, grow your people within. And so we think about growth as a way of retaining our amazing team and family and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so that is one thing is giving them opportunities and saying like, we want, we want the next store to be managed by one of the people who's, you know, in the stores right now, um, and get them excited for that and getting people to step up. Um, we also give, when people take on leadership positions in our company, they get equity in the company. They become a part owner. Mm. And that's really important to me because I'm saying you need to own, you know, your impact on the company. And, and as a result, like, you, you really do own it. <laughs> like, you, you should that's get awesome. to own your piece. So it's like, it's really living, living and breathing what we talk about. Um, and giving up some of my equity to, like, share with them when they take on that responsibility. Great stuff. So let's talk about some other challenges. Um, if you can think of some other things that are happening in the industry that you are maybe seeing on the horizon coming up, like maybe you're preparing for it. Like what are some of the other challenges that are out there that you want to talk about? Um, gosh, I think El Nino is definitely back to my stream <laughs> right now. So 40 degrees and raining is not the best for a business. Um, well, it's 50 degrees in New Hampshire right now, which is totally <laughs> bizarre. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, get yeah. into more detail, though. Like, what is it about the weather that, you know, is uh, concerning you? Um, it's, it's a, we're, we're having um, a unusually cold and wet winter, which is honestly, like, the wetness is great for our, the rest of our yeah. environment, and um, it should be great long-term for, for our economy. Um, but it does obviously hurt HKM sales. So what we're, we just started doing actually is we've partnered with a delivery service and so we will we will bring the ice cream to you <laughs> and that's been really cool to see that that's starting to take off um we have we've had a lot of there's that the last month. there's that adaptability you were talking about earlier i mean sometimes when things just don't go the way that people want them to go they just throw up that you know, throw up their hands and they say what can we do and they just sit there acting like a victim but what i continuously hearing you do is you say well what can we do you ask yourself what if and i think that's so crucial thanks man awesome so uh let's talk about work-life balance i think people just go crazy in this industry because they don't really give that work-life balance a chance so i mean how do you juggle your work and your life i have a two-year-old and he is my world as well i call him actually my second child smitten is my first child but uh i feel like having a kid and having or you know people you care about like helps make you focused as well um but it's also really making sure you have a team who you can lean on and rely on so that I don't have to do everything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, like, we've been super lucky to um, have a team um, around me who I trust mentally and so that I I don't feel like I'm buried under a ton of bricks. I can feel, and actually, as we grow the company, I've made the commitment that I'm going to get closer and closer to our shop teams instead of farther and farther away. 
and that I didn't do this to go sit in an office building. I went through this for, I was like, the other reason. So as I grew, I'm giving, giving up the reins on more and more of the corporate stuff such that I can get more and more so in touch with people. What are some of the challenges so, that come up when you are handing over the reins so you can have more time in your life? What are the things that you did and that you should do when trying to pass over some of the responsibility? I think it's partly just understanding people's strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. and creating like development plans that enable them to understand what responsibilities you want them to take on in six months and nine months and then mm-hmm. helping them get there and helping build the trust across um, myself and um, and my team such that like I am like not reneging on my mm-hmm. <laughs> my desire for them to take on responsibility like that's the worst is like i want you to do this and then you hand it over and you're like just kidding i want to do it <laughs> like, that's like that's like no fun for anyone so it's really like it's an active process you can't just like it's definitely not like you know sitting around and then one day making the decision so well, I think you, you touched on something that's really important, which is trust. I think when you're leaving uh, all this responsibility to people, when you're not there, establishing that trust, getting that foundation of trust is so important. So, I mean, you kind of already alluded to how important people are to your business and how you serve your people and you have that, uh, that, that great relationship with your people. But how do you really get that like firm foundation of trust? Um, I mean, it's kind of just, getting to know people as people, right? Like, actually, before I hire people, I like to to really, like, get to know them over time. And same with, like, taking on new investors. Like, I really, I don't decide I need it, and then the month, next month, like, get it. It's really a process. So even when I'm, like, I, we don't need financing now, but I'm, like, I am, like, building relationships and getting to know people. And some people are like, you're really cool. One day, maybe, like, maybe I would love to work with you, I know, in the future either as a colleague or as an investor. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I, you're not a good fit for my culture. You want to grow in a different way I want to grow. And, like, good to know, good data point. But like, it, you need to learn those things over time. You don't get to know, like, it's like dating. You don't get to know anyone on their first yeah. date. So with people who we hire, like, it's definitely, like, a process. And, you, you know, like, I've gotten the great advice of, like, take someone out to a meal, see how they treat the staff. See how, like, do they smile? Do they say thank you to, like, not just you? Like, how do they treat other people? And it's really learning about someone before you're in a position where you want to hand something over to them. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're building the company yourself, you have the opportunity to hire people who are really good people and who you really think you can trust. You also have to make sure that they are equipped to do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, like, it's your, it's your fault. It's your job to teach them and get them a, get them a mentor. Um, but, uh, so how do you, you know, what's an example of equipping somebody? Um, so figuring out like, if there's a certain responsibility you want them to take over, it's figuring out like all the details of what that means and understanding if they have experience doing that. And if not, it's, it's building kind of a toolkit of like, what does it take to do this? And because their comfort level and all those steps, and if they're uncomfortable with some pieces of it, it's either you mentoring them and like holding their hand through it the first couple of times, or having someone else as a mentor to them so they can figure it out. And a lot of times, like what some things we're doing, like I've never done before, so I'm not a good mentor, but we've reached out to other people and said, hey, can they have a monthly check-in with you to bounce things off you to make sure we're not screwing up too much? And if we are screwing up, like fine, but let's fix it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like setting people up for success and not like just putting them like you know with a blindfold on and say, go run. 
Yeah. Two things I want to pull out of that that I just really loved was first is, you know, don't shoot yourself in the foot by just hiring anybody. Because if you want to build a relationship with this person, if you want to be able to trust them someday, you can't just settle for, you know, a pulse, a heartbeat. You have to make sure they're right for your company. I thought that was awesome. And then secondly, giving people the tools to do the job. You can't say, hey, you're going to do this and then walk away. And when they fail to be all pissed off at them. I mean, that's on you. And I think those are two huge lessons to take away from that chat. That awesome stuff there. So let's talk about some books. Um, I'm a huge fan of learning and just constantly pushing yourself. Um, and what's one book, one recommended must read book for somebody getting into this industry, whether it's just an entrepreneurial book or personal growth book, what do you have for us? I'm so bad. I don't really read. <laughs> um, I don't really read like educational books. Um, because I really like books being kind of escapism and just like having a time off from thinking I have this problem where I just like, <laughs> I, I can't get my brain to stop. So like when I'm reading, I kind of like it to be, um, a time out from life. But I actually, I was given a book recently from a mentor who told me that I should read it. Um, a book by Mark Nepo called Book of Awakening. So, and she said it's a lovely collection of brief daily readings, easy to start or end your day in a few minutes. Um, read them according to date or just randomly pick up a page. So that was her advice to me. Um, and then he also has a book called Finding Inner Courage. Ooh. I think so those are both. It's first more of like a sure. like. I think it's more of a like follow your heart kind of series <laughs> but um yeah so i have not read them yet but um that is the advice that i have gotten from one of my mentors well i think one of the things when people aren't much of a reader uh one of the things that they recommend is just talking to people uh and i that's something that i think is so critical and just as important as reading and you know educating yourself is just getting out there and learning from other people and having those mentors like you have in your life you can learn just as much which is huge so thank you for sharing those two books. I'll have those in the show notes. This is episode 201. So head over to Restaurant Unstoppable slash 201 to find links to those. And then what's one recommended tool or technology, Robin, that you're leveraging in your restaurant? Um, and I noticed you already mentioned once you said you have a, a, you're working with a delivery service. You do online ordering. So what are some of the things that you're leveraging in your restaurant? We, so, yeah, we just started with Postmate in San Francisco. And then we're using uh, POS company called Revel. Ah. Um, so why did you go with Revel over other POS systems? So originally I wanted an iPad solution because POS systems cost $20,000 and an iPad is great. Yeah. Like $500. <laughs> um, at least the ones of last year's model are. So I, A, it was like out of you know cost originally and I thought it was like, you know, it fit the the aesthetic of our shop more. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was just finding one that was sophisticated enough to give us decent reporting um so that was um a process of discovery and what, i think a lot of the different platforms are getting better what were some of the um reporting that really you wanted to look for that were important to you i mean just just trying to figure out you know what flavor is selling the best and what hours the day are the you know are the most busy and mm -hmm. figuring out how our team can clock in and clock out and we can do payroll more efficiently and like all the things that, that like help run your business and help you staff well mm -hmm. um, and make sure that your team is taking breaks. And like there's just there's just all these different elements of, you know, both legality and um, efficiency mm. of, you know, lessening your administrative time. 
Awesome. Is there anything else that you're leveraging as far as te- technology that you'd like to share with us today? We're using Zenefit for an HR platform, which is a new technology solution. Um, we just started using Zenefit, which is a um, HR platform, uh, and it's really helped us in terms of figuring out just how to get everyone informed about healthcare changes and they can all put their picture in and so I can get to know everyone's faces and it also just basically makes makes uh, a lot of the administrative back end of that much, so much, much better. So does it help a lot with like, the onboarding process? Is it, I've never yeah, heard of it. Yeah, all so. of our documents are there, yeah. So what pain all points did you have before using this technology that it, it's, you know, relieving? Oh my gosh, we had like tons of paper. Like we have an NDA that they have to sign with us to get to know our bird technology we had all of the hiring documents and all of their W-9 and all of their, oh, yeah. you know, there's just so many pieces of paper you have to keep track of where now they can do it all electronically. Yeah. I mean, that's one, one of the biggest reasons why I asked this question, Robin, is because I feel like there's just so much that you have to know and do in a restaurant, so much busy work, and there's so many technologies and services that exist today that can just, you know, you can plug into your business that systematize a process and save so much time. And at the end of the day, it's time is money. Time is, you know, improving your restaurant and paying attention to the details and just trying to do little things better. And have you noticed that you've been able to do that since using some of these technologies? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm psyched that I don't have to manage it anymore. <laughs> um, our finance team oversees it. So, um, but I think it's made their lives easier. For sure. So, Robin, if you could go back in time to 2007 when you're just starting to, to play with these ideas and inventing ice cream machines, what's one piece of business advice you could give yourself uh, or somebody else in this industry? I would say keep it simple and do it better than anyone else. Ooh, awesome. And how do you think that would have changed your, the process of you getting to where you are now? I think it just helped. I think I learned through necessity. So when I first came up with the of Sin, I was sitting and having a lot more different flavors. And when I was pulling the wagon around the street, I could only have one. <laughs> and it didn't deter people. And I think customization and selection is overvalued um, and that people actually appreciate not having to think so much. And you have to have a certain number of offerings, but like four <laughs> turned out to be funny <laughs> for us. I, so, um, I agree with you Keep it 100%. simple, keep your cost low, um, and keeping it simple also allows you to splurge on the few things that you do, which enables you to do it better. Oh yeah. Instead so. of doing a bunch of things, mediocre or mediocrely, I can't say that. Say it for me. <laughs> Medi- with, yeah, I know. <laughs> instead of doing, mediocrely. Yeah. Instead of doing a bunch of things. Okay. Just focus on doing a couple things really, really well. And there's so much value in that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And if, there's just one question I could have asked you, Robin, that you think would have added more value to this interview. What would it have been? If I could have added more value to this interview, or one question I would I could have asked. give you a high five in person. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I'll take it. So those are all the questions I had for you. Robin, you've been awesome. At the end of every episode, we wrap it up by having you call somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional or uh, food and beverage professional you admire and just think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you have been for us today? I would call out my friend Calvin Say over at Byright Market in San Francisco. I've been super impressed by how they've developed their brand and their, you know, company with their hearts and 
is an amazing place to walk into. Um, and then I have to choose two amazing markets that is probably like a dream awesome. come true for food. Great. Look out. Was it Calvin you said? Calvin. Yeah. Calvin, I am coming after you, man. I would love to get you on the show. Uh, how can we connect if some somebody's listening in at home and they want to come work for you and maybe join your team or just pick up the conversation? How can we connect? Oh, yeah. So you can just email us at info at smittenicecream.com. And please come check us out. Sure. I, I'm definitely going to, if I'm ever on the West Coast, I'm making a special trip, that's for sure. You cream. better, man. You better. <laughs> it sounds good. Robin, you have been awesome. You were so inspiring. I love your perseverance. I love just your attitude. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, man. You too. <laughs> Cheers. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I am just pumped up after that interview, after listening to it uh, through the editing process. Man, there's so much great advice in this episode. I think the the moral of today's show is just perseverance and just having that clarity in who you are. And this girl, man, Robin, she just didn't give up. She had this vision. She had this passion. She had a dream, and she wouldn't quit until her dream became a reality. I mean, we can just learn so much from that persistence and just, I mean, she tried making this ice cream machine on her own. She didn't succeed. She had trouble. She went, she found an engineer. She didn't just give up. She said, how can I make this possible? So she found that person that could help her make it possible. She didn't have any money, so she offered him equity. And then she, she walked around with a wagon. She pulled this wagon around the town or the city of San Francisco, just trying to get that that following. She got that following. She raised $300,000, and she didn't do it when the economy was booming. She did it in the middle of the recession. But she did it because she said, how can I do this? What can I do? What if? What about this? She got creative. She tapped into that just ether of knowledge that, you know, just asking yourself, how? What if? What can I do? And she bootstrapped. She she calls it uh, scrapping. She was scrapping. She just got by, but she didn't give up. She almost quit five times, but she didn't quit. And I think that's the lesson. Persistence is to take away from this and to know that I mean, if you have a dream, just be persistent. Get creative. Don't give up. Put everything you have into it, and you will be successful. Uh, and if you're not successful, at least you'll learn something so the next time around you'll have a better shot. And I just love that mentality and that that uh, energy she brought to this interview. Awesome stuff. Um, if you guys are enjoying these interviews and you're finding value in these lessons, please support the show simply by using the links, leaving star- five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and uh, shoot me an email, eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from on the show. I'm always looking for guests. It's hard to keep up with two to three episodes a week, so any support you guys can give me there is much appreciated. Or just shoot me an email to tell me what you like about the show and to tell me about, you know, what you're struggling with. Maybe we can do an episode uh, based off a a challenge you're having. We can get an expert on the show. I'm here to serve you guys. Please know that. All right, that's all I have for you today. Until next time, peace out.